Welcome to Paper Team, a podcast about television writing and becoming a TV writer. I'm Alex Friedman, aka TV Calling. And I'm Nick Watson on Twitter at underscore MJ Watson. And today we're going to talk about digital streaming and aggregation services with a very special guest. Hillary Levi, creative executive at Elation, developing shows for the streaming platform VRV. Welcome, Hillary. Hi. Hey. Hello. Um, I would be a bad Elation employee if I didn't say that it is actually pronounced Verve. Oh, oops, I did the thing. <laughs> <laughs> All, right, All right, let's get started. All right, so first up, just tell us a little bit about your background. How did you end up in the industry and in L.A.? Uh, so I've lived in L.A. for 11 years now. I am originally from just outside of Atlanta, Georgia, in the suburbs. And I moved to L.A. for college. I went to the University of Southern California, and I got a bachelor's degree in film and TV production. And I've never left. <laughs> <laughs> did you have any sort of film or TV shows that drew you in and inspired you to be in the entertainment industry? Yeah, absolutely. I am a huge sci-fi and fantasy geek. So um, movies like The Fifth Element, Dune, The Matrix, and even like epics like Gladiator and Ben-Hur, which are my two favorite movies. And they're a tie because they're essentially the same movie, uh, <laughs> except one has brown face and the other one doesn't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just nails on a chalkboard, early Hollywood. <laughs> yeah, the, I really like big, sprawling stories with world building, and I love tales of vengeance or tales of discovering a secret and things like that. So. Did you watch much anime or animation growing up as well? Yeah, I was a huge Sailor Moon fan. Uh, I think like many young women in the 90s, either either vocally or secretly were Sailor Moon fans. What I came to discover was that as much as I was a very vocal Sailor Moon fan, and I thought that everyone thought I was a nerd for watching Sailor Moon, a lot of the girls that I was in middle school with actually did watch Sailor Moon and they didn't talk about it. <laughs> so yeah, I'm a total like Sailor Jupiter is my love. And then, but I'm also really, I'm technically a Sailor Mars. If we had to, <laughs> if we had to do the Sex in the City version, of <laughs> I'm a Sailor Mars, I'm a Sailor Jupiter. I just really liked Sailor Jupiter because she, even though she was really tall and I'm really short, she had brown hair and she was so, uh, she kicked butt. <laughs> what do you feel animation brings to the table that live action doesn't necessarily? Well, I think nowadays when you're dealing with the quote unquote renaissance of TV, it's really hard to do movies that are blockbusters if you don't have a hundred million dollars. Animation is a really great way to do that on a budget. And it's also a really great way to explore titles that have more depth and you can really get into the nitty gritty of the details of the, if you're doing an adaptation of a book or, so, or a comic or something like that. It's just really exciting when you can say, oh, we can't afford to do the live action version of this, but we can do it animated and we can actually make it the way it's supposed to look. And that's really exciting and really great. So what was your pathway to your current position? What kind of jobs did you work on your way up through the industry? Yeah, so my background is actually in features. I started off thinking I wanted to be in features because those were the kind of that's the kind of stuff I liked. And as much as I loved Battlestar Galactica, I didn't see it as a possible career. I didn't realize that there were all these network executives in the same way that there are all these film and studio executives putting their heart and soul in the same way that feature uh, execs were doing. And uh, so I started off in features because I wanted to do blockbuster movies. 
And I started off at a production company slash co-financier. And that was my internship that became my job. And it was more of a temp job. They were able to recommend me for an agency job. And then I worked at an agency for almost a year and a half in the feature lit department, working for an agent that repped writers and directors and some producers of film. And then eventually her clients started getting into TV as well. And that was basically my 101, here's how the business works, here's how you do your job, here's how all the parts fit together type of thing. Because my degree was mostly technical. Here's how you work on a set. (laughs) And I don't like being on set. (laughs) So I started at the agency and then I ended up at another production company. And then I was laid off and it was very sad. And then I ended up, uh, after being unemployed for six months, I went into the comic book space and I worked in comic book publishing for a little over a year and that was awesome and I learned a lot and that has been super beneficial to my career now, especially working in the geek space uh, because I love comic books so much and here I was getting to be where the magic happens because I think the comic book industry kind of seems very, not a lot of people know how it works and it feels like this secret club of, of people just drawing all the time or writing and it's just a fascinating business and I love it. I basically learned how comic book companies make books and make money and uh, how they handle the rights for when, you know, Hollywood comes knocking. Uh, after that, I ended up working for a producer slash manager. I did not work for him very long and then I ended up going to a TV network, a cable TV network focused on young women 18 to 34 And I was there for two years. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) That's the longest job I ever had. And I worked for the head of development there, and then I worked for the head of the network. And then I was very fortunate to get this job as a creative executive. What draws you to the side of development and being a creative executive? I can only answer that by explaining sort of how I came to know this is what I wanted to do, which is I went to film school thinking that I wanted to be a director or cinematographer and I wanted to do archaeology documentaries for the History Channel. Wow, interesting. Uh, Yeah, I was like really gung-ho. I love history. I love archaeology. And I was like, I want to travel the world and like carry a camera and just record archaeologists doing really cool things. And that did not happen, obviously. (laughs) I still love archaeology. I still love documentaries, but I don't think I could ever do that. And being in the hot, sweltering sun with a camera on your back sounds terrible and (laughs) awful, and I respect the people that do it. I started taking production classes, and I realized that I was a production major that didn't really want to be on set. I say like, oh, I hate being on set. That's not entirely true. I like watching people do what they do and I like watching stuff come together, but it is a lot of starting and stopping and waiting and standing around. And I have a hard time physically standing just because my legs are really terrible and they hurt after, you know, about 30 minutes of standing. So you'll know there are pictures of me like in classes and stuff or on my own set like sitting on an Apple box, sitting. And that's like not what you're supposed to do. You're not supposed to sit. So I was like, I don't know what to do. I'm not a screenwriting major, but I did take screenwriting classes. I had to, and I took a screenwriting class and I was like, this is great. I love it. I am a terrible writer. This is awful. I will never be a screenwriter. I really wanted to write like this big sprawling science fiction epic. And I was like, this is never going to happen. And I just like, I'm not getting it. I understand how structure works. 
I can talk about it. I love talking about it. It's really fun to talk about it with writers. And I love the idea of talking about how to improve their story. That's really cool. And I love when their faces light up when you give them a note and they get it and they agree with you. And that is so wonderful because, you know, they're going to go back home and they're going to make it better. And that was really cool. But I was really bad at taking notes because <laughs> I was like, no, this is my child. It's like, no, I'm not a writer. And I was like, how do I do that for a living? And I did not realize development was a thing or that I knew there were agents, but I didn't really realize there were managers. And I had one friend of mine who is a TV writer who just needed his writing partner, like just sold some shows. I'm really happy for them. And we were on a plane together because we worked together at the student like political institute at USC. And we were on a plane together and I was reading one of his scripts and I was giving him notes. And he's like, you need to be a manager because these are great notes. And I was like, what? This is a thing I can do. And then I had another friend of mine say like, oh, do you want to give notes for a living? Like, you should just be a development executive. And I was like, <laughs> what's development? And they said, you need to go and intern at a production company. And my second semester senior year, I finally did that. I finally interned at a production company. And I was like, oh, yeah, no, this is it. This is what I want to do. Uh, and I still like the idea of representation a lot. And I almost stayed at the agency uh, that I worked at. And after I worked in comics, I thought about going back into representation and being a manager because then I would get to help develop young voices and also you have the opportunity to produce when you're a manager and you can't when you're an agent because that's the law and it just so happened that just being in development was the one that worked out so tell us about verve and what is it and how does it work so in order to tell you about verve i have to tell you about elation uh elation is a digital media company that runs sort of two products. One of those products is Crunchyroll, which is arguably the largest anime streamer in the United States or for English speaking audiences. And that's really cool. And they really have an awesome platform, but also they have Verve spelled VRV, which is a streaming app that you can get pretty much anywhere on your phone, on your tablet, on your Xbox, on your Roku or your Apple TV or whatever. And Verve basically has two really cool functions. One is it's an aggregator that has all these different channels that are geared towards people who are geeks, who are nerds, who are curious about the world. It has Crunchyroll, obviously. So Crunchyroll lives on its own platform, but also on Verve. It also has High Dive, which is another anime streaming platform. It has Geek and Sundry and Nerdist. It has Curiosity Stream. It has Shudder for all of the horror fans out there. You are going to find those things on Netflix, but when you're going on Netflix, they're not necessarily catering to you. Or when you're going on Hulu, they're not necessarily catering to you. And you know, I have to go into Netflix and if I'm looking for anime, I have to go find it. When I'm going on Verve, anime is the first thing that I see. And that's really cool and that's really great. Or do I want to watch people to play Dungeons and Dragons? It's right there on the home screen. It's really great. So it has this nice collection of different things. It also has like rooster teeth. So if you love like Red versus Blue, I was an original watcher of Red versus Blue. <laughs> I love different types of machinima. It's really cool. So yeah, it feels like this nice place where all of these different types of shows you can find all together. 
But also we are starting to develop our own original shows and we do have some exclusive shows on our Verve Select channel like Harmon Quest or Gary and His Demons or Side Night in Happiness. And we're now developing shows in-house, which is why I was hired to develop even more cool, both live action and animated content. So you already sort of touched on that just now, but how do you think Verve differentiates itself from other OTT offerings? And what do you think is the ideal target audience for the network? So I'll start off with the audience because that's a really just general easy answer. We target young adults 18 to 34. Our platform skews a little bit more male, but when I'm looking for original content, I'm trying to find stuff that would appeal to all genders. And I really would like to see some of the stuff move the needle towards the middle, which, you know, being a woman, I want to make stuff that I want to watch too. (laughs) So uh, I always keep that in mind when I'm looking for material. And we have such a cool, diverse audience. And so I want to make sure we're doing things for all of them. A lot of the OTT services that you're seeing are specifically for a channel. So it's the Cartoon Network OTT service. It's the Freeform OTT service. And this is why you're seeing a lot of DTC, direct-to-consumer platforms coming from entire studios like Disney and other companies like that, trying to put everything together on one platform so that there's one sign-in and everything is living in one space to make it easier for the consumer. Where I think Verve is really neat is we have the benefit of aggregating both linear services and streaming services in one platform. So like Rooster Teeth, you're finding that on the internet. There's no linear Rooster Teeth channel. So we have that. Plus we have some really cool stuff coming down the pipeline in partnerships with linear channels to put some of their back catalog on our platform. And that's going to be really exciting. So I think there's a nice blend there. And we're one of the few places that is taking all of these streaming networks and putting them in one place for you to subscribe. How do you decide which content or channels are best suited for Verve? Well, I don't really deal as much with our channel partners. We have specific executives that are in charge of acquisitions and programming a strategy in terms of finding new channels and doing those deals. And I'm on their team. I work with them. They're a very small team and we definitely all give a lot of input. And so they're probably better suited to answer that question than I am. Obviously, at the end of the day, the question is, does it financially make sense for us? Is it in good investment or is it sort of low hanging fruit or does our audience love it? So like example, when we got Nick Splat, the Nickelodeon 90s catalog, all of our users grew up in the 90s. They grew up watching Rocco's Modern Life and Rocket Power and all that kind of stuff. They want to see it. It's not necessarily on the Nickelodeon linear channel. So that makes total sense for us. There's a big nostalgia play. And also those shows are not necessarily for children. (laughs) Some of those shows play really well for adults. So it's nice to rediscover something. So that's an example of does it speak to our audience? Is it meaningful to them? As you're adding services to the platform, Mm -hmm. do you feel they can keep a consistent brand of what Verve is? Yeah, well, there's been a larger discussion just in general about what Verve is and what it means. And I think I don't, (laughs) I'm not in charge of our brand development. So this is another thing that I don't want to necessarily speak out of turn to our awesome marketing managers and brand managers who spend their entire day talking about this. (laughs) But in terms of 
what makes it a verb thing versus not a verb thing, there's a whole bunch of questions that go along. Is it perhaps an underserved community? Is it tangentially or is it directly in the same realm as the stuff we already have on there? Like, does it have stuff that is nostalgic? Does it have stuff that is geeky and nerdy and fun? Is it something that is hard to find somewhere else? You know, like Shudder or Curiosity Stream. There's not necessarily linear channels that are easily accessible that have that kind of content on there. So it's a very unique platform that has all different types of things come together. It's kind of a very roundabout answer, and it's not really a direct answer. There's so many questions in terms of what, what, what makes it a verve channel versus not a verve channel that I don't necessarily feel qualified to speak on. So then tell us a little bit about the original content that you guys are producing. Is there a particular mandate for what you're looking to create there? Yeah, absolutely. I can definitely talk about that. <laughs> but like I, like I said, it's both live action and animation. And usually we're doing 11s or 15s or 22s. Those things mean number of minutes in an episode. It's stuff that is fun, that's enjoyable or satire. It usually will have sort of a sci-fi fantasy horror bent to it. So it is genre that isn't necessarily just your straight up comedy, but a fun ramp or adventure or action or something like that. We're not necessarily right now doing 45 minute hour long sci-fi dramas right now, maybe in the future. It's definitely in our mandate that we have stuff that is really fun and enjoyable for our audience. So when you're looking at projects, what is a, a meaningful attachment for you guys in terms of talent and IP? Yeah, that is such a good question because that is a large part of what I'm doing every day. And specifically my boss, Sarah Victor, who works in San Francisco, I'm here and she oversees all of the original content. I'm specifically on the scripted side and specifically trying to find pieces of meaningful IP or talent. So I'm really hyper-focused on that every single day. So in terms of when you're looking for something, I'll start with talent first, because that's a really interesting thing in terms of what is meaningful to our audience might necessarily not be meaningful in terms of like Hollywood and your general blockbuster fare. And so somebody who's meaningful to us could be somebody like a Matt Mercer, which your average Joe on the street is not going to recognize in the same way that, you know, you're going to recognize George Clooney, but everybody in our space knows what critical role is. So Matt Mercer is definitely somebody who's meaningful for us or Felicia Day or Will Wheaton or people like that. So that's really cool. But also your standard ABC listers is of course meaningful as well. You want them to be involved. So we have flexibility in terms of finding meaningful talent. We, we don't have to fit ourselves in these boxes. We can play around a little bit. And that's really fun and cool. In terms of IP, when it comes to comics or games, obviously, we're a smaller network, as it were. And so perhaps we don't have the money of a Netflix or Hulu to really just throw money and get the rights to something and then make the, it this grand, awesome thing. Hopefully, we get there. But is it something that has a creator that's done a lot of things before? Is it Matt Fraction? Is it Warren Ellis? Is it Kelly Sue DeConnick? Those people mean a lot to our audience. And it would be cool to do stuff with 
personally my own like comic book idols. <laughs> you know, it's great to be in the demo and be in the audience because I can do a little bit of a gut check and say, hey, do I like this person? And even if I don't, I can go and go on Twitter and just search for their name and see what people are saying about them and you know, do a Google Analytics graph and see, you know, when did they start talking about this? Or is anybody clamoring for a movie of or a TV show of this one title? So it's really great that our audience is so socially engaged because that research is kind of all built in there. You could just search for it. And what do you specifically look for when you're seeking out an IP or a new project to work on? Yeah, first and foremost, has to be in the right demo. Has to speak to an 18 and 34 demographic. It also has to be good. <laughs> also that. It definitely has to have some sort of performance is really helpful in terms of sales and notoriety. Has it won on Eisner? Has somebody won Harvey? things like that comic book awards. I'm using comics because I come from that background. But for games, is it, are they on the Steam top 200 list? Did they win anything at the VGA awards? Are they on any IGN year-end lists? So do they have some sort of recognition is really important because if it's some game that Joe Schmo made that only five people are playing, that's all well and good. But why am I spending money on something that no one knows about? It can be challenging. You want to have that name recognition. It really helps bring eyeballs to your story. And it's not that we won't do things with newer voices and newer creators. That's really good. But when it comes to IP, you want something that's a little bit more established. It's not going to be a AAA game. And it's not going to be this crazy comic book that like everybody wants. But And hopefully it is. But those just get really expensive. <laughs> So, so, yeah. It's not and finding the middle ground. Absolutely. And it has to be something that has that genre bent, that sci-fi fantasy horror bit to it. Something fantastical. So can you take us through a typical day in your role as a creative executive? As I'm sure Logan and Eva mentioned when they were on Paper Tea, there is no normal day. I would say that the only constant is that I'm reading every single day. But the benefit of my job is that I don't just get to read. I also get to read comics and play video games. <laughs> so, but mostly I save the video game stuff till I get home because it probably would annoy my office mates for me to play video games <laughs> or computer games in my office while I'm working. But that's also why I have an iPad because a lot of stuff you can get on mobile. So I'll just like hunker in the corner and like play a game for a little bit and see if it's fun, worth checking out. But yeah, there's a lot of reading involved. And normally people would be on the phone calling people, but we live in such an internet age that mostly I'm just IMing people or emailing them or texting them being like, hey, can we set a meeting or hey, can I meet your client? But then sometimes, you know, if I don't know an agent or a manager, I will just call them and introduce myself and like, hello, you don't know me, but I would like to be in business with your <laughs> clients. So there's that. Sometimes I'm doing phone calls with creators who maybe aren't in Los Angeles. And I really like their podcast that they've done or their comic book that they've done. And I want to have a conversation about, hey, are you interested in doing a TV show? And have you thought about it? And if you have thought about it, do you think it's live action or animation or what? So a lot of exploratory conversations, especially when we're trying to mine IP that is maybe not the most mainstream like a podcast or somebody who maybe doesn't have an agent or a manager. You have to reach out to them directly and have those preliminary conversations about, hi, hello, 
this is what we do. I'm not going to scare you. <laughs> like, I just want to have a conversation about whether or not you think this thing would make a good TV show because I think it would. So there's that as well. And traditionally, like other production companies or networks or studios, you're hearing pitches and you're getting submissions and your general creative executive assistant duties that I'm sure have been mentioned before. But yeah, mostly right now, just reading and reading and watching and playing and evaluating and talking. And especially because my boss is in San Francisco, there has to be a lot of extra communication to make sure we're being really clear about when we're discussing uh, the validity or the potential projects that we're thinking about doing. And how do you find those writers and creators you wanted to work with? Sometimes the benefit is, is that I can just go on YouTube or Comixology or whatever or, you know, write in my own podcast stream and find out these are the projects I want to target or people I want to work with. And I keep my own list. They're called grids. I have a podcast grid. I have a comics grid. Like I have a games grid that I've cultivated both with my boss and also independently of me getting this job, which just keeps track of all the stuff that I like, all the stuff that I have enjoyed, all the stuff that other people have recommended to me that they like and enjoy. And I break it down in terms of who published it, who made it, who wrote it, who's the host, all this kind of stuff. And hopefully the rights are available and you know maybe they'll have an agent or a manager and i will call the agent or the manager and say hey like i'm such a big fan of your client jane doe i loved their web series i would love to meet them and also do they have a writing sample that i could also read that's outside of that so you start that conversation going and of course managers love it because somebody's knocking on their door about a client that may be very obscure and they're like oh great and then hopefully they'll send you more clients who are also really talented and you just kind of go from there. How do you think Verve and Elation operates differently as a company compared to your experiences in traditional entertainment industry stuff? Yeah, well, I consider Elation to be a tech company. They're in this really cool cross-section of tech and entertainment. They're an entertainment company that is based in Silicon Valley, kind of like has those San Francisco roots and so operates in a way that is much more efficient, I think, than traditional Hollywood systems. It's nice to have people not complain when you have to go on a Slack channel, <laughs> which was a really difficult thing when AOL Instant Messenger died. RIP AOL Instant Messenger. RIP AIM Forever. I love AIM. And I was really, really sad that like the entire infrastructure of Hollywood assistance was basically based on a piece of 90s technology. And it still worked. It still worked really well until it ended. And I think it actually ended right before our birthday. Yeah. <laughs> Fun fact for the audience, Nick and I have the same birthday. <laughs> but it's really cool to be like, oh, let's just do this. Or, oh, like, let me just put it in the Slack channel. Or, oh, like, we're just going to hop on a Google Hangouts. And yeah, sort of, you know, Google Hangouts can be a little glitchy. But I don't have to worry about my team being in San Francisco or me, I'm the only one solely for Verve in LA. So I can't go up every single week to San Francisco to like be in meetings or whatever. So I can just join via phone or I can join via Google Hangouts. And nobody has assistance, I think, except like the CEO and the head of Elation Studios, which is our in-house animation studio. She has an assistant as well. And that is totally understandable. But 
pretty much no one else that I know of has an assistant. And that's very strange. (laughs) And having been an assistant for almost eight years, there are things that I instinctively do because I am an efficient assistant and still in my brain. And I'm like, we need to follow up. We need to follow up on this email. We need to get this meeting set. Why haven't people responded? (laughs) And I have to remind myself, Hillary, you're not an assistant anymore. And it's not your job to like make sure that other people are taken care of. It's your job to be a good team member. And that's different. You can be helpful as a team member, but you are not a codependent individual for a living anymore. So (laughs) stop. So in that way, I find it to be a lot more efficient. I think As I have heard the stories from places like Apple and Hulu and Amazon and Netflix, in the beginning when you're trying to talk to people in tech, and I hate to say this like them and us or make someone and other, that's not. We're all on the same team. But there are some people, like I got asked a question by one of our finance guys, Hillary, what do you do all day? And that's like the first time I've ever had a coworker ask me what I do because I'm so used to everyone knowing what I do. So I think it's just about having a dialogue and making sure everyone understands what everyone is doing. And when you're bridging a gap between two industries, that I think is the one opportunity to learn and not necessarily, I don't think it's a bad thing at all. It's just an opportunity for learning and growth. So what advice do you have for writers and creators on the best way to approach a network like Verve with projects for development? The benefit of being where we are right now, as opposed to other like in the people in the YouTube space and like MCNs, multi-channel networks and things like that, whereas they probably are sourcing from more creators that aren't repped. Verve is in this really great place where we're approaching talent like that, but we're also approaching talent that has agents and managers. And so I would say I always prefer, because I come from a, quote, traditional Hollywood background, I always prefer the traditional route of having an agent or manager, someone call me, because I get really leery of unsolicited submissions, because I don't want somebody to be like, oh, you just heard that pitch, and I had that script, and, you know, all this kind of stuff, it gets me, especially when I worked in comics, I was technically sort of like on the business affairs side. So I got really into like copyright and IP law and I get really scared about people (laughs) suing other people. And so I get nervous. I don't believe we take unsolicited submissions. So I think that's in difficult try to, as I think Logan mentioned in his episode, competitions, 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 fellowships, join the Reddit screenwriting groups that are out there and just learn how to write and just submit your stuff, submit your web series. And honestly, if your web series is really good and it gets like a million views, I'm going to see it. I'm going to see it. I'm not ignoring it. I've seen it. I'm interested. And like, I'm going to call your agent or your manager. Or if you don't have one, I'm going to contact you directly. And I'm not saying that if you build it, they will come. But if it's getting waves, people will call you. How does diversity and representation factor into your decisions about original content and the stuff that you're licensing and just in general? I think that it should always be in the kind of main tenets of the questions you ask yourself when you are evaluating a piece of IP. We've talked about, is it meaningful for our audience? Does it do this? Does it do that? Is it sci-fi? Is it fantasy? But the question I always ask myself on top of that is, is there a way that we can make this more progressive? 
And I don't mean progressive as in preachy, but if I'm reading a script and I'm halfway in and there's not a single character who's a woman or person of color, I sort of think less about that. Mm. (laughs) I sort of take it and go, that's problematic. It's fixable, but it's problematic. And so I don't necessarily say no on a project just because, but I have to know is the creator open to making this more diverse and have better representation? Can we challenge ourselves to tell stories about people that don't look or think or sound like us? And get a little personal here. I really love heavy metal magazine uh, or I like the really old heavy metal magazine and they love the heavy metal movie. And my favorite character in that movie is a woman who pretty much doesn't speak and her name is Tarna and she wears basically a black version of what Lily wears in The Fifth Element. I love her and she kicks butt and she wears hardly any clothes and people ask me why I love her. And I'm like, when I was a kid, did not have many women who kicked butt in science fiction movies who saved the world. And mostly they were like chain nail bikinis. And I want to make stuff that is better than that. I want it to transcend that and be smarter and be more elevated. And I don't just want to do that for me. I want to do that for people who are even more underserved and more marginalized because if I felt like I didn't have a lot, they definitely feel like they have nothing. And like even this is so not not even related to what I do, but that video of Tan France and Hassan Minaj going shopping was like putting me in tears. And like, I'm white and like, it's not even for me and I'm crying and it's supposed to be funny and just feeling like normalizing diversity, I think is one of the most powerful things we can do in this business. And that's really important to me. And what do you see for the future of Verve? Are you guys looking to do VR and AR expansion partnerships, that kind of thing, whatever you can say about them? I'm not aware of any partnerships in the AR or the VR space. I love AR and VR. I think AR is really cool and really fun in the game space. I think VR is going to be really neat in terms of sports and news. I'm still not entirely sure how it's going to be for traditional, quote unquote, entertainment platforms. I have yet to see one that has been so mind-blowingly awesome that like has compelled me to feel like we need to be in the VR space, but I'm a huge gamer and I will like play VR games till the day I die. In terms of the future of our network, of course, I think it would be really awesome if we could grow and have as much money as Hulu or Amazon or Netflix or Apple and make these big projects that like I've wanted to see since I was 17 and younger. 17 is when I realized I wanted to work in the business. So that's like the moment in time where I was like, these are all the things that I would like to make forever. So (laughs) that I think is always the goal for people of like wanting to make the stuff that they've all, their passion projects, their white whales, the things they've always wanted to do. But right now, I'm just so happy that we get to make stuff for people like me and that geek is mainstream. And like, that's what I care about right now. And what are your goals for your own career? Uh, oh, well, <laughs> goals for my career. It's so interesting because I people would ask me that when I was an assistant and I would say things like, I want to start a production company that's a shingle or pod at a studio or network and like make 
really cool, awesome sci-fi and fantasy projects and Shepherd World creators. And I said that, and that was my pitch for a really long time. And I think that is still my pitch. But now that I'm a CE and I'm here and I've done the thing that I said I was going to do for so long, I am just trying to enjoy it (laughs) and sit in it. And it's really nice. And it's nice to sort of feel like the long-term plans can actually be long-term plans instead of this, I have to have this like business plan ready to go every time somebody asks me what I want to do with my life because they always ask you that when you're an assistant. Like, what's your ultimate goal? No one asks you that with your creative executive because they think you'll be fine. Like, oh, you'll like stay there for five years, you'll become a VP and like eventually become an independent producer. It's such a weird thing of like, I don't feel like the pressure's on anymore which is really nice. So like right now I'm just enjoying being at Verve and like running my hobby of an Etsy store where I make pins and like, that's my life. (laughs) We'll put that in the show notes, by the way. (laughs) Great. Awesome. All right. Before we go, we have a few final questions for you. Uh, Number one, what are you watching on TV right now? Um, Perennial Hollywood favorite, The Good Place. Yes. So good. <laughs> oh, so good. I watched the Goldbergs quite religiously because my boyfriend, Andrew, who also works in the business, is from the city next to Jenkintown, where Goldbergs takes place. And so it's really interesting to watch with him because he's like, I know that shop. I know that store. I've been to that place. I know what school they went to. It's really neat. And it's also just a really well done show. And the acting is superb. Uh, so yeah, the good place. Um, I'm watching assassination classroom right now in terms of anime working through it. I know I'm a little behind the curve on all that. I got scolded the other day because I have not watched Jojo's bizarre adventure. (laughs) So I was like, okay, fine. I will watch it. Not a show that's currently on the air, but this year I was completely blown away by the season of The Handmaid's Tale, which is just one of my favorite shows in the entire world. Man in the High Castle. Philip K. Dick also shares a birthday with us. Oh, yeah. that's right. Philip K. Dick, Arthur C. Clarke, and Jane Austen. Nice. Wow. We have a very auspicious birthday. Yes. Yeah. Love Man in the High Castle. Those are the big ones right now. Any final advice for either aspiring writers or even people who want to get into development and producing? My advice would be different for both. I, I think at the heart of it, the, the, the one that piece of advice that is the same is expect it to take longer than you think it will, <laughs> because it will. It is very rare that it is faster than what you think, and it is very rare that it is in the timeline that you plan for. So don't plan it. Just Beyond the journey, and that's really hard for someone like me who is very OCD and has a life plan and talks about five-year plans and goals, and I want to do this by the time I'm that, and it's very rare that that happens. So learn to let go a little bit. That's very important. For writers, I would say, unless you need a job, don't work in development. <laughs> go to an agency or a management company but don't work in development. When you're done, when you've put in your year, try to work on a show, go work for writers, watch what they do, go do your writers groups, things like that. Because I see so many people that say they want to be writers and then they end up going into development and then they stop writing. They don't consider themselves writers anymore. And I think it's fine if you change your mind and you want to do development or you want to go into representation or whatever. It's okay to change your mind. 
but I see so many people that like, I work in development, but I actually want to be a writer. I'm saying this as a white person. So I have a little bit of privilege when I give this piece of advice in like, I know that you got to take a job. But if you have the opportunity to not work in development, (laughs) don't do it. (laughs) If you are a development person, don't go work in a writer's room. If you don't want to be a writer, I know so many people and I'm guilty of it. I almost worked for two showrunners and they did not hire me. And I'm really glad they didn't because it would not have been as beneficial for me as working at a network and learning how to actually do what I do. And I'm not trying to say that there's no benefit to working in another part of the business. There's absolutely a benefit to working in a different part of the business because you learn things that you weren't expecting you were going to learn. But it does also take you away from doing the work that you want to be doing. And if you have the opportunity, if you're fortunate enough to wait for that right opportunity, try. Or take that development job and like keep applying to writer's rooms, (laughs) like, you know, or vice versa. So definitely make that money, pay your bills, be responsible, don't get into debt, but also try to work in the area you're passionate about. And if you realize you're not, then it's okay to change your mind. Great advice. And lastly, do you have any resources for our listeners, be it books, apps, websites, anything you can think of? The Hollywood Assistant Handbook. My Bible for the first three years of my life in Los Angeles. (laughs) Or like as an assistant. Hollywood Assistant Handbook is great if you are going to be an assistant anywhere, which 99% of people who want to work as business will be. It is awesome. I haven't read it recently, so I'm sure there's a little bit that's outdated in terms of technology because it's written for kind of the early aughts. But it's so good. I gift it to my interns. Like, it's wonderful. And of course, you have the classics like the mailroom and stuff like that and save the cat and whatever. Do all those things. Read all those classics. But Hollywood Assistant Handbook, so great. And things to check out. Don't just read books. Go out and experience the world and do things and have a life. That's the other thing. Like, you know, when they're like, I'm a student of the world. Yes, actually, you should be a student of the world because it is very difficult for me to carry on a conversation with people that like have actual jobs, like they're scientists. (laughs) And I just like want to talk about the business all day. (laughs) So go have a life. That's important. All right, on that note, before we go, our paper tease competition is still open for submission. So if you have a TV pilot teaser of eight pages or less, any format, any genre, you can enter it for free at paperteam.co slash teaser to potentially get feedback on air, win prizes, and be eligible for our paper team mentorship. So thanks to our listeners for tuning in, and thanks to Hillary for joining us. You can get all the show notes for this episode at paperteam.co slash 112. If you want to leave us a review, that would be awesome. You can do it at paperteam.co slash iTunes. And all of those reviews are going to help us attract new listeners and build our community. As always, I'm on Twitter at TV Calling. I'm at underscore NJ Watson. Where can we find you on social media? I'm at Hillary Levi. That's Hillary with two L's and Levi like the jeans. <laughs> Great. If you have any thoughts, feedback, ideas for future episodes, you can always send them to ask at paperteam.co. And what are we doing next week? Uh, next week, we're going to do our monthly paper scraps segment talking about news and interesting things around the industry. And then we'll be doing our November paper tease entries, giving some feedback on those. So yeah. we'll, we'll catch you guys then. It's going to be exciting. See you then.